morning, Friendship Church. This is week four of four going through the book of Acts. That's been our um, summer reading. Summer is over, so this is the last week um, of going through the book of Acts. We are looking to see uh, what a healthy church looks like. We want to be a healthy church, and so we look at the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 and all the way through the book of Acts. What did they do? We want to do the things that, that they did uh, there in the Bible, and so that's what we're looking at uh, here. We want to be a healthy church, and so Four things that they did. There were four things that jumped out to me. Maybe there were some other things, which, by the way, on Wednesday nights, we're talking about a few of those things. Last Wednesday night, we had a great uh, discussion, and we're going to do it two more times where we talk about um, uh, the book of Acts. And so come on Wednesday nights. We are back, 7 o'clock. we got youth, boys and girls, adult Bible study right in here, 7 o'clock. You don't want to miss it. Uh, four things that leapt out to me in this book, baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing of the, healing of the supernatural, generosity of the church, and evangelism of the world. Those are the four things that they did, so that's what we're looking at doing. Evangelism of the world. You can't read the book of Acts and not see somebody telling somebody else about Jesus. <laughs> it's throughout the whole book. And so you, have, you look at that and you go, okay, well that's something that, that we have to do as well. And so my, my preface for today, just as every other week, uh, is that there's more to say on evangelism than what I'm going to say here today, but I am going to say a lot here today, so I've got to go fast. Um, but I'm looking at it from the lens of a healthy church, that we want to be the type of church that uh, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in relying on the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is supernatural. We serve a supernatural God, that there is a generosity or a community or a spirit of love that must be in our church. And then also we go out and we tell people about Jesus. That's, that's what they did. So if you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, I'm going to be at several places, but I'm going to read uh, most in uh, Acts 17. So if you want to turn to Acts 17, I'll catch up with you there in just a minute. Acts chapter 17, I'm going to be in a few places. Let's start Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's start with the words of Jesus. That's always a great place to start. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Come on, it's one of our favorite verses, right? Receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Is it just to speak in tongues? No. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Speaking in tongues is part of that. But the point of the power is so that we can be Christ's witnesses. So that we can go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. And he gives us that power. So we look in the very next chapter, right after the day of, or on the day of Pentecost... Peter gets up and he preaches uh, a very famous sermon, one of the most famous sermons in the uh, New Testament, and I'm just going to read a portion of it, Acts 2.19. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is a day that is coming. We don't just witness and tell people about Jesus because it's the nice thing to do or, or don't you want to you know, live a, a nice life? No, we tell people about Jesus because there is a day coming. How many, of you, how many of you believe that? There is a day that is coming. We're talking about fire and billows of smoke and the sun turning to darkness. I mean, there is a day of destruction that is coming that all of us are headed towards. And there is one way out. Anybody know his name? Jesus. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be 
saved. He continues, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? There are people then and there are people now that are asking the question, whether out loud or internally, what should I do? Whether they want to admit it, whether they uh, keep that, 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 uh, a poker face on Twitter or whatever, okay? They're asking, what do I do? Something is going on here. What do I do? Peter answers them. Peter replied, repent, repent. Everybody say it with me. Repent and be baptized. I feel like an old school preacher. I don't know if it was the songs or what, but I'm like, repent. <laughs> That's what he says. That's what he said to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent is turning from your wicked ways and turning toward Christ. That's what repentance is. I am no longer going in the direction that I'm going, but I am turning around. I'm going in the other direction. I am denying myself who I want to be, who I think I am, and I am turning from that and pointing to Christ. People today are allergic to the thought of repentance, aren't they? They run the other way. How dare you tell my sweet baby that she's not the most precious thing ever in the world? How dare you? Right? We, people today, apparently people then, but people today live the way they want to live, and this is who I am. This is who I am. How, how arrogant and narcissistic is that to live this life to where there's nothing wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with me. Plenty wrong with all of y'all. Nothing wrong with me, though. How arrogant is that? Really? Seriously? Let me tell you something. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> okay, let me say it better. There's something wrong with us. <laughs> okay? We are sin-covered sinners with a gooey, sinful sinner, okay? That is what we are. Every single one of us. And we are all headed for this day where the moon is turning to blood and everything else. Or goes dark and the moon turns to blood. One way out. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Acts 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is not Buddha. There is not Allah. There is not you or me as if we are the end of all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. There is one name and his name is Jesus. And church, we've got to preach that. Some of you are like, we know that. I've heard this all my life. Simple truths over and over, right? Simple truths over and over. We have to remind ourselves of this, but we've got to tell other people this. Yes? We have to tell other people this. But this is something that people do not want to hear. People do not want to hear this. And there is coming a day, and maybe there is a day, where we will not be able to say there is only one way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. People like me, they will tell me what I can and cannot preach. You can't, you can't say that's a sin. We accept that now. Don't preach that. 
I say that that day is coming and that day is here because that day is here in some parts of the world right now. And by the way, that didn't happen today or yesterday. It's been from the beginning of time. That people don't want to hear that. They want to figure out their own way. They want to do their own thing. But there is coming a day, and there is a day today, where that may actually happen. Where the authority says, you can't say that. And in that moment, what do we do? Acts chapter 5, verse 27. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. The authority told Peter and John, the apostles, do not speak in the name of Jesus. Do not do it. And what did Peter say? Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than man. We need sermons and we need discipleships and we need the thought again that we stand firm in the word of God in the face of what's coming at us. And it's coming at us, by the way. They're telling us what not to preach, that you can't say that. But do we obey God or do we obey man? God's word supersedes current culture. God's word supersedes current culture. It doesn't matter if the current culture was 500 years ago and what they said was right or 500 years from now and what they say is right. God's word supersedes current culture. So what the culture says to do, if that comes up against the word of God, then come, I guess, prison time or whatever else, that's what comes. Acts 8, they continue. On that day, This is after Stephen was martyred. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. There's persecution. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So there's persecution. They're scattered. They go over here. They go over here. Maybe maybe we should lay low for a little while, right? Verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Preach the word. We preach the word wherever we go. If we're scattered, if we're home, wherever we are, we preach the word of God. And that word of God is a word of salvation. Salvation to everyone. Acts 9, we get to Saul, who becomes Paul. And you know the story. I heard a, a, a boy who was, who was reading, uh, re- reading through Acts. He says, ooh, we've got to the good part. It's Paul. <laughs> We got to the good part of Acts. Here we are in Acts chapter 9. Saul was one of these people that were kind of in the Sanhedrin. And he was telling the people, not only telling the people, he was actually going to Damascus. He was on this road. And he was, his purpose of the trip, he's on a business trip. The purpose of the trip was to find people who called themselves Christians. Okay? And then he was going to be mean to them on Twitter. No, that's not what he was going to do. Okay, Actual persecution. He was going to kill them. Kill them. That's what his job was. That's what he was going to do. So this guy named Saul is on the road to Damascus to find Christians so that he can kill them. Mm. Bright light. Jesus says, hey, what are you doing? 
And he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Goes to Ananias, begins to, Ananias prays for him, baptizes, verse 20. I know I just skipped through that amazing story, but skip through that story to get to this. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? Hasn't he come here to take them as a prisoner to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is a little bit of apologetics. And what, this means, what that means is defending your faith. How can we defend our faith? Okay? One of the reasons why we know that Christianity is real or that is true or that Jesus was resurrected, one of the reasons, and there are many, not just theological, but historical reasons. I'm going to give you one of those reasons here today. Because the enemy of Christ, the enemy of Christianity, enemies of Christianity, turned and began to preach in the name of Jesus. That doesn't normally happen. So here is Saul, who is a rising star in Judaism. Okay, You've got other Pharisees and people laying their coats down at his feet. He is a rising star of Judaism on his way to being the high priest one day. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, we find out later. He's the man, and he's a rising star, one day going to be the high priest. He has an encounter with Jesus, and his life completely changes. So now, the Jewish people are against him, and the current Christians don't trust him. Because is he faking it? Is he really coming to get me? He has no one. Why in the world would a rising man in Judaism, going to be the high priest one day, completely alien? alienate himself from both people, both groups of people. Why? Because he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. Do not discount your encounter with Jesus Christ. That is part of your testimony. And no one can come against your experience with Jesus Christ. No one can say that wasn't real. No one can say that's part of your story. And so part of when you witness to people, tell your story. Who can refute that? That's your story and that's what... Saul did. He was encountered with Jesus and he came. And in fact, three different times later in the book of Acts, he tells that story. Here's what happened to me, king. I was on the road to Damascus. I was going to kill Christians and I met Jesus. How do I witness to someone? You tell someone how you met Jesus. How you were, how you were before Jesus, what happened when you met Jesus, and now what your life is looking like since Jesus. That's the simple message of how you tell somebody about Jesus. And that's what Paul did here. Who is the person in your life that you would say, oh, they'll never be saved? They would never come to know the Lord. That person that you're thinking of right now, Saul was times a million. Okay? Your friend that you're thinking of wasn't traveling around killing Christians, I don't think. So, but Saul was. And he came to know Christ. And how did he do that? Because of Jesus Christ. He had, a, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ. So what do we do? What do we do? Like, what do we, what do we actually do? Okay? We see this, and you see this throughout the whole book. It, is, it was just part of the church. They had to tell somebody about Jesus, whether they, be, whether they were being persecuted or not. They had to tell someone about Jesus. What did they do? Acts chapter 13. Verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Sent them, and that was the beginning of their missionary journeys. So there are some people, they, they listed several people here, Lucius and Simon, Simeon, listed these people here that were not sent out. So there are some people who were stationed here at home, and you're supposed to tell those people about Jesus. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, right? Remember Acts 1.8? There are some people who are sent out, and they're supposed to go to the uttermost parts of the world. They're supposed to go to Nepal, and the Philippines, and Chile, and wherever else. And they're supposed to go and tell people about Jesus. Now, us as the Assemblies of God, as our denomination, fellowship, uh, as the Assemblies of God, when we started in 1914 in the second floor of a bar in Hot Springs, Arkansas, that's right, you heard me. Hot Springs, Arkansas, that's right, that's what we brought, okay? <clears throat> 300 were up there. We started the assembly. We started. They started the Assemblies of God. We were a part of this. And in, in most theology, similar Baptist, Methodist, in terms of one way to heaven, Jesus Christ, we're all going to heaven one day. But there were two main pillars that we wanted to hang our hats on as Assemblies of God. One of those was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, which you talked about in week one. That second thing that we said we that wants to we, to set us apart from everybody else I guess to set us apart is we want to be the greatest missions agency this world has ever seen and that is happening right now there are almost 3,000 missionaries around the world just assemblies of God and just foreign I'm not, I'm not even counting Chi Alpha and home missions there's almost 3,000 missionaries around the world there's 217 18 countries 3,000 Assemblies of God missionaries around the world. These people are sent. So one of the things we do, and that is seen here in Acts chapter 13, this idea of they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This wasn't just a prayer and a buy. There was a financial burden that the church took and sent these people out. So when we bring different missionaries in, this is part of fulfilling Acts chapter 13. We are sending people out. If we physically are not going to go to Mongolia, we're going to send someone to go to Mongolia to tell them about Jesus. Right? So that's one thing that we can do. And that's one thing that we do. And I'm so thankful for that. So I, I am proud to be a Assemblies of God, certainly in that regard, because we have sent people out to tell people about Jesus. Amen. We send people out to tell people about Jesus. Now, with that said, and as important as that is, hear me, please. As important as that is, and as much as we are going to continue to do that, okay, writing a check does not check our box for evangelism. Okay? Can I say that? That's okay to say? Writing a check, hey, I sent them, I'm good. Good on the evangelism side. There are some that are sent, and we are so thankful for them. We pray for them, and we send them. 
But we are here in Richmond, in Rosenberg, in Katy, in Sugarland, in Houston. And we have to tell. We have to tell people about Jesus. How do we do that? One of the things that Becky and I learned on the mission field, we were, Becky and I, at a time, were some of those that were sent. We lived in the Netherlands for three years. What we did, what I did not do, was climb up to the, stop of, to the top of a statue and yell, turn or burn. Like, I didn't do that, okay? Don't do that. That's weird. <laughs> Don't do that, okay? I, I did not do that. We built relationships with people around us. That's what we did. So there was a, one, person, one man that I led to the Lord. We was a shopkeeper literally a block away from where we lived that I went to go get groceries from. He was there every day. I went. We built a relationship with him, able to lead him to the Lord. There was um, some people on Claire's field hockey team, some parents uh, on a field hockey team that we would go to games with and I would sit with and practice and I would talk to parents, uh, able to lead a man from Romania to the Lord. There were um, some parents that Becky got involved with, uh, their version of the PTA at the school. So she goes up to the school and works at the school and is working with these parents and begin to share the gospel with these people. We built relationship with people and then we told them about Jesus. Okay? How do we do that? What do I say? Okay? This isn't a complete tutorial, but let me say it like this. Look at how Paul teaches or presents the gospel different to different people. We're finally at Acts 17. Y'all there? Acts chapter 17. This is so interesting. This, 17 is one of my favorite chapters in Acts. Verse 1, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. So when he spoke to Jewish people who knew the Torah, many of them had the Torah memorized, believe it or not. Someone memorized Leviticus, okay? They memorized the Torah. They knew the Torah. He explained through the scriptures from what they knew from the scriptures for three weeks. So he was three Sabbaths. He was there for three weeks. Other places he was there for months and in one place even years. He was there and explained through the scriptures about Jesus. When he was talking to Jewish people, especially Jewish leaders, he explained Jesus through the scriptures from what they understood. Okay? But more than just Jewish people, he also went to talk to the Gentiles. So what do you say to Gentiles? They don't know the Torah. They don't, maybe don't even know that there is a God. So what do the scriptures mean to them? What does he say? What does he do? Later on, chapter, or still chapter 17, verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So these are people who do not know about God. They do not know or care about the Torah. So explaining through the scriptures and the Torah was not going to cut it with these people. They didn't care about it. They don't know what it is. Epicurean, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Okay, So Epicurean was Darwin before Darwin, Okay, just so we kind of know where we're at here. So you got your people like Hitchens and, and Dawkins that talk today. They're Darwinian. Okay, there is no God. It's nonsense. Okay, so before Darwin, there was Epicurean. So religion is irrational and superstitious. That's what Epicurean says. Stoic 
it's kind of the opposite. You're being one with nature. Okay, so there's many gods. There's a god of the forest and there's a god of the sky and all of these different things, okay? You suppress your own desires because you're supposed to live in harmony with all of these gods and the universe and whatever else, okay? So this is who he's talking to. He's not talking to people who know God, love God, all this. This is who he's talking to. And look how he speaks differently to them than he does to the Jewish people. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting at the Areopagus and said... People of Athens, I see that in every way you were very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you were ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So it begins to talk about them and what they do. You're worshiping, and you don't know what you're worshiping or why you're worshiping. He's talking to the culture here. Doesn't that describe our culture? We don't know what we worship, but we worship we're really sincere about it. We don't know what we're doing, but we're sincere. That is, that is today. We don't know what we're... An unknown God? How do you even worship that? Verse 24, Then God who made the world and everything in it, the God who made the world and everything in it, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And He is not served by human hands as He needed anything. Rather, He Himself gives everyone life and breath, and everything else. So he says, all these gods, okay, you're worshiping, but you don't know what you're worshiping. There is a God above all of those gods. So it cuts straight through to this, you know, serving of many gods, or that there is no God. There is a God. There is a God. You can't put him in your house. You can't make him into an idol. But he is a big God, and he is the one that gives us life and breath and everything else. He's not just a God that gives us a forest. No, there's one God that gives us everything, that gives us this life. From one man he made all nations, that he should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. This is so great. God did this so that they would seek him, perhaps reach out for him, and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. See, they thought the gods were far away. We can't, you know, we can serve them, but we can't get to them. Paul says there's a God that you can reach out and that you can find. And that he is here. And that you can know him. You can actually know the God that created everything and that gives you life. And he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offering. You see what he did? He didn't use the scriptures, he used their own writings against them. You say, your poets, we are his offspring. That's why sometimes I'll make an example with sports or politics or movies, because you talk about the culture and then you point it to Christ. That's what Paul's doing here. Your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So if we are his offspring, how is he a little image that you set up on the edge of your counter and you worship that? How do you do that? You can't do that. We are his offspring. So he uses the own, his, their own culture against them. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, like we sung today, he's more precious than all of those. We should not think the divine is like these small things, an image made by human design and skill. No, he's above that. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to... Repent. There's that word again. 
We've got to turn from our wicked way of thinking. We're not a God of the forest and the sky. And I mean, look around. Somebody created all of this. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And that is Jesus. He talked to them in where they're living and pointed to God. Now, he used biblical themes to do this, but he used their own writings against them. Isn't that great? Dealing with the Jews, he showed Christ through the Scriptures. But dealing with Gentiles, he started with God. He is the Creator. Man can find Him and know Him. He is Creator of the world. And that world was broken because of our sin. And the only cure is to repent of that sin and to turn to Jesus Christ. So you look at this. Now listen to me. Listen to what I say. There is one way to God through Jesus Christ. Correct? There are many ways to come to Jesus because we come from different places. There's different, there's different ways that we're at. Let me ask you this. How would I witness to an atheist? Think about this. How would I witness to an atheist? Because an atheist believes there is no God, there is no Jesus, there is no this. What would you say? Is what you would say to that person different than what you would witness to a Muslim? Right. They have a concept of God. So you would say different things. Right? Would you, how would you witness to a former Christian? And is it different than the way that you would witness to an atheist or to a Muslim? The way that you would witness to a former Christian, a prodigal son who has walked away. How would you witness to a religious person but not a Christian person? They have new age thinking or whatever it is. How would you witness to someone who claims to be a Christian but obviously by their fruit and their actions are not Christian? How do you witness to that person? We bring people to Jesus from where they're at. So many people, we start from where we're at. we got to start from where they're at and bring them to Jesus. Does that make sense? You all with me in this? We bring people to Jesus. So when you, when you ask them a simple question, what happens after you die? All of these people are going to answer differently. You ask an atheist, what happens after you die? Well, nothing. There's just nothingness. You ask a Muslim, what happens after you die? Well, I go to be with Allah in one of the seven realms or whatever. When you ask a former Christian, what happens after you die? Many of them are actually pretty honest, and they might answer, I'd go to hell. Maybe they just don't think it's that big a deal, I guess. I don't know. What would a religious person but a non-Christian person say happens after you die? Well, we, you know, reincarnation. Or we become one with nature or the universe. What if you asked a person who claims to be a Christian but is actually not a Christian, what happens after you die? Well, I go to heaven with you. We'll have mansions next door to each other. It's completely different. They answer the same question completely different ways. So what do we do? We go to them and see where they're at, just as what Paul did here in Acts. If I'm speaking to Jews, we talk about this. If I'm speaking to this person, Gentiles, I talk about this. So we get a way of thinking that how can I talk to the person, to my next door neighbor? How can I talk to the person in the cubicle next to me? How do I get, you build a relationship with them, you find out where they're at, and you, and you see where Jesus can enter their life. That's, that's, that's where we go. This is the bottom line when it comes to evangelism. Bottom line is this. At some point, 
someone shared the gospel with you. Someone shared the gospel with you. And some of us were lucky enough to grow up in Christianity. And so we've known this from a very early age. But not all of us around the world have had that opportunity. So what do we do? We have to tell them about Jesus. We have to. We see it all throughout the book of Acts. We see this in the history of the church. And we see it in our own life. The good news for us is that the Holy Spirit is with us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God is with you. He's with you. He's with you. And we bring people to Jesus from where they're at. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, I want you to begin to pray even right now for that person that has probably been on your mind from the beginning of this, from the beginning of this message. Maybe you have two, three, four people that you're praying for. Maybe you've got someone close to you, a brother, a sister, a, a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, grandfather, cousin. Begin to pray for them even right now. That they would come to know the Lord and that you would be a witness to them. That you would be a witness to them. Begin to pray for them even right now. Hallelujah, Lord. God, I pray they would know you. God, I pray that they would know you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be your witness. To reach out. All of us at some point have got to repent of our sins and come to Jesus. I pray that our friends and that our family, they would see that. That they would see that, Lord. Help us, Lord. praying for that someone those someones Lord help them come to know to Jesus some of us that know some atheists or probably someone of another religion someone who claims to be a Christian maybe there's a prodigal son in our life that we have been praying for for a long time Pray that you would bring their path back to Jesus. Bring their path to Jesus. For there's no other way to God than through Jesus Christ. Bring them to Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Keep praying for them. Hallelujah, Lord. Keep praying for them. While you're praying, can we stand this morning? 
We're going to worship the Lord. Continue to pray, but we're going to worship the Lord as well. And I want to ask if you're here today and maybe you want to ask Jesus into your heart. I, I, I have to give this opportunity here today knowing that there is a day that is coming. There is a day that is coming of destruction. And the only way is salvation. I'm going to step over here to my right and your left. If you would like to ask Jesus into your heart, I would love to pray with you. Talk to you about that. Everyone else, continue to pray for that person in your life that you want to know. Come to know the Lord. And let's worship the Lord together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to... uh, I'd like to say something again. Uh, I, I think I said something a little clumsily, so I want to say something. Um, there's one way to God through Jesus. Okay? Jesus will use many ways to bring you to Him. Okay? I feel like I said something a little clumsily earlier. I just wanted to had a check in my spirit just in case someone is like, wait, what do you say? There are many ways to God? No. There's not many ways to God. There's one way to God through Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus will use many different ways to bring you. Is that clearer to say that? Okay. That's, that's what I meant. If I, if I said something slightly, okay. I'm just wanting to make sure that we're on the same page here. Okay. I'm thankful for the many ways. I know that there are some, Jesus, you know, Jesus showed himself to Paul through a bright light on the way. He didn't do that to me. <laughs> It was a different way, okay? So there was a, there's different ways that he brings us to him, and I am thankful for that. And he knows exactly how to bring us. And many of the time, most of the time, he uses us as the church to go out and tell them about him. So that's our job to do. Is that good? Is that right? Okay. Just wanted to, just wanted to make sure of that. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this book of Acts thankful for looking at a healthy church and I want us to be a healthy church and I want us to pray for our church pray for our church that we are a church that loves God, loves people reaches out to others, believes in a supernatural God so thankful so thankful so thankful for him let's pray, Lord thank you for this day Thank you for all your many blessings, Lord. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. Made a way to heaven. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. God, I pray that you would put a fervor inside of us to reach the lost. A fervor inside of us to reach the lost. That there are many around us that do not know you. Maybe they don't know that there is a God or maybe they've, they've had a, a, a bad representation of Christianity in their life. And so they're resistant. God, I pray that your love and your grace would conquer the day and bring them home to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you, Lord. I pray for Friendship Church. We would be led by your spirit, that we would serve a supernatural God, that we would love each other and grow in community and generosity, and that we would be those who would reach others with the love of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name.